Hi, welcome to the Parenting in the Middle podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Goodman. I'm a certified life coach and a mom to three teens and a tween. Do you ever wonder if you're doing this whole mom thing right? Are you pushing too hard or not enough? What does it look like to love your teens yet keep firm boundaries? Do you know that you can do all of this without yelling and feeling frustrated? Here in this podcast, you will find coaching and communication strategies to help you tackle all of your hardest parenting struggles. These strategies will help you parent with more confidence, peace, and influence. I'm thrilled you're here. Let's go. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen. You're listening to Parenting in the Middle podcast. How are you today? Are your kids back in school? Are you feeling a little more settled into your schedule? Hopefully you are. I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today on the podcast, Emily Christensen. Emily is a coach. She teaches parents tools to help them navigate how to talk to your kids about pornography and healthy sexuality. And I loved our interview together, and I know you will too, how she blends the two topics together so that we can remove the shame as we teach our children about pornography, or if we're trying to help them through, maybe they've already looked at it and they're talking to us about it. You know, how do we move forward from that in a way that's not shame-based or labeling or fear-based? She does such a beautiful job. And so we're just going to jump right in to our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And as crazy as it may seem, I love to talk about pornography. So let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And I mean, you're a coach also, but pornography, this topic is really important to you. So kind of go into why and, um, you know, where this came from for you. Yeah. So faith and family are two of my greatest priorities. I'm an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I grew up in an active home. But I also grew up in a home where family and faith were also the priorities, but I also grew up in a home that was deeply impacted by pornography. And I grew up in, um, when this started happening was coming out my family, there was not a lot of dialogue about it. And the dialogue that we did have was really not very complete. And so it was really difficult to navigate that situation on my own and with our family and try and figure that out. And so for years, I feel like I've been, you know, I've struggled with feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling like we don't fit, feeling like, how do we get over this and figure this out? How do I stop this from happening to my children? And there just weren't a lot of conversations happening, or if they were happening, they were just scratching, scratching the surface and sometimes in a very fear-based way. And so I was just hungry for more. And so I was looking everywhere for information primarily concerned about my kids. And I had watched, um, I knew what pornography could do to individuals and families. I was living it. It was in real time. And so I just was desperate to find tools and resources. So I was studying anything I could get my hands on. Um, I started presenting and speaking on topics about it. Um, And then I found coaching and coaching just filled in that gap. When I understood the power of the mind Um, in expanding the principle of agency and our ability to choose and processing feelings. I'd studied all those concepts and it was kind of that missing piece. And so, you know, for 19 years, I have been navigating how pornography impacts family. I've been supporting my family and supporting others. 
And then a few years ago, I decided to make this personal pursuit a professional one, and I got certified so I could more actively help other families impacted by this issue, but also really focus on prevention and how do we stop this from becoming an issue? Because I don't believe it has to be something that has to consume us in the future. Right. Which I think gives people so much hope um, if they are struggling or if they know someone who is struggling with it. So you talked about this conflict as you were living in it, that you felt alone, isolated, that you didn't fit in. Where do you think that came from? Was this when you were a child or how old were you? So I'm just talking. So I, this disclosure happened when I was a young adult that I found. So what I, what I just found was, you know, the only converse things I knew about pornography were it's so bad. It's so wrong. It's so evil. So how do you then reconcile when someone that you love and care about and respect is struggling deeply with that? That's where it gets tricky, right? Okay. So it's like internally. So internally I'm saying like, hold on a second. Like, I love this person, but then I've always been taught this is so bad and wrong and evil. Where does this fit and where does this go? And how do I feel and talk about this now? So that's can get really complicated and messy when someone we love and care about and a spouse, a parent, a child, et cetera, a close friend or family member is, is really (laughs) deeply struggling and suffering with this. And we don't understand why. And all we know is this is bad and evil. That is a very (laughs) difficult and dark place to be. Right. Yeah. I can see what you mean by that. As far as there's this conflict, like we love our, what, whoever it is in our life who is struggling, maybe it's even ourselves, our children, our spouse, a friend, we love them so much, but we have so much judgment over this, this thing that they are doing or viewing. Um, and if we label it evil and terrible, you know, it does create a disconnect in that relationship because how are you supposed to be open and talk about it when you have so much harsh, harsh judgment over it? Okay, so let's talk about from a parenting perspective how we can talk about this with our kids. And let's talk about if you have young kids who don't have electronics yet, where you start. And then we'll go into if you're a parent of teens like me and you're like, oh my gosh. I have totally failed in this area and I have not taught it in the way that I want to start teaching it now, but we're going to start with moms of young kids. How do we approach this topic? At what age? What do we do? Yeah. So the first thing to realize is that any conversation about pornography is not complete unless we're having that conversation about healthy sexuality as well. And when that conversation is unbalanced, that's where the, we create problems. And so when a child is young and they're not, they don't have access to an internet enabled device, then we start teaching them about their sexuality in a healthy and a positive way. And the way you teach a child about that is to help them understand and love their body and realize every part of their body is sacred. And also talking about body parts in an accurate way. So identifying what parts are 
And we don't talk any differently about breasts and penises than we do about head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Okay. And I know that sounds kind of funny and weird because we're not used to talking about it, but the more we can normalize that those are parts of our body and they're just as beautiful and divine and helpful, um, because they're part of who we are and how we've been created and the ability to create when we're thinking about our capacity as humans, especially our divine capacity, that's incredible, right? The ability to create, and we need these sexual organs in order to do that. And so the way from the time our kids are just little and they're asking us why, and what's this? And we just say it in a matter of fact, in a clear way with confidence, that's how we start. I love that. Reminded me of something I heard from someone and I don't remember who, because I even like saying some of those things is uncomfortable for me still at 40 years old. And because you know how we were raised or what we were taught. And it's like, you're kind of unlearning or relearning things. And they said to, to write the body parts down like a grocery list and then just read them like as if it's a grocery list, just to normalize it. Yeah. And it's scary because we haven't. And you see how we can change that for our kids. If they grow up and they're able to say those things. Now, kids might laugh or giggle and that's okay. We don't have to say, don't laugh. That's not funny. Like it's okay. But we just have to get really comfortable talking about those things because the more we model that, then they realize, oh, it's okay. Those body parts are normal and beautiful And there's, we take the shame right out of it because all of that correlates with pornography. You can't have one conversation without the other. And it's so important that those two conversations are always weaving together. Yes. I love that. That is so important to weave the conversations of pornography and healthy sexuality together, even from a young age. Yeah. I love that. So, so then let's talk about the teens. So my kids, my youngest is going to turn 12 soon. And so I have kids from 12 to 18 and I don't feel like I've had these conversations from when they were young Mm -hmm. in a healthy way. And so talk to the parents like me who maybe feel like they have to start now and their kids are already older. And so how do you start those conversations? Such a great question. It's really important one to remember it's never too late to start. Okay. And then two, get clean on the the position we're coming through, the position we're coming from. We want to make sure we're not having these conversations out of fear, but we're coming from a place of love. We want to be clear. We want to be direct. If you are feeling some anxiety about it, then talk about it and just say, you know what? This is something we haven't talked about before, or this is something I've felt uncomfortable or afraid to talk about, but I want to do better and we are going to do better. So let's start now. And you can just paraphrase that also give them permission and space to feel whatever as well, because it might be uncomfortable for them because they're not used to it. And so you could say something like, I can understand how this might feel a little awkward because we haven't been having these conversations on a consistent basis in our home. And so whatever you're feeling is okay. So let's just talk about what you might feel as we have this conversation. This might feel kind of weird or gross and that's okay, but we need to talk about it because I want you to know that this is something we talk about in our home and it's always okay. And there's nothing off limits and you can talk to me or ask me about anything. And I think that just kind of lays the framework and the groundwork to start building from there. 
And if you're feeling calm and confident yourself, then it's easy just to say that in a calm and confident way. I agree. I love that. And, you know, with, as a parent of teens, I know that sometimes our teens don't want to have these conversations or they might not have the best attitude around it. And just like, if they don't want to go somewhere with us as a family or something like that, it's like you, you include them anyway, you make them do things they don't want to do anyway. So even if your team doesn't want to talk about this, it's okay. You can have the conversation anyway. And I like what you said, let them feel however they want to feel or however they are feeling and allow that. And it's okay. So it doesn't have to be contentious or like a battle. And there's so many ways to do it, right? I think driving in a car is always a great time to do it. One, no one can escape. Two, yeah. you're not looking. It's so much easier to have difficult conversations when you're not looking eye to eye. When you're both facing forward, it just takes some of the pressure off. So as you're driving, you could say, you know, again, just casually bring it up. Hey, we haven't talked about this a lot, but this is something I want to do better on. And I want to have more conversations about sex and sexuality. So I want you to be thinking about any questions you might have. And I just wanted to bring up something that I was thinking about that we could talk about, or if you're watching a movie together or listen to a song, use every opportunity you can to teach and talk about it. I also have a child that has a hard time initiating conversations, but she can write them down. So I tell, sometimes I get a note slid under my door and sometimes you could say, do you have any questions? Here's a piece of paper, write them down and just hand it to me. And that just feels a little safer, a little more comfortable. And then they can just say anything in that way. And just, you know, open yourself up to any times and opportunities to start the conversation and don't be afraid of this, the discomfort just because it feels uncomfortable. Doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's new and something that you're just starting to talk about. And so just kind of ease into that and sit in it. And I promise the more you do it, the easier it becomes and the more natural and the more questions will surface. And so you just keep bringing it up. And I think some parents have the perception, well, my kids aren't listening. My kids aren't listening. And when you think that you stop talking and that's one of the worst things we can do is stop talking. We just, communication is one of the best forms of prevention. So it's just getting really good at feeling uncomfortable and having weird and awkward conversations. <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to put it. Just get good at that. Um, and I love what you said about, even though it's uncomfortable, it doesn't mean it's wrong. I think that's a powerful statement that we can teach our kids to have open conversations about things and not feel so shameful about it. And I love the idea that our kids might not act like they are listening or act like they want to have these conversations, but they do, and they will appreciate it. Um, so good. So what have you seen parents do that hasn't worked before? And then what has worked? Let's talk to that. Have you seen anything like that in your business as your coaching parents? Yeah, absolutely. So what doesn't work, um, is fear-based conversations or freakouts. And, and this is why, um, when we are trying to talk to our kids, our kids about this and they can sense our fear or our discomfort, then automatically the kids will not want to engage in conversations like this. And the reason why 
is they, they can sense the discomfort and they're not going to want to initiate anything that could create that in the relationship, right? And they're not going to want to feel that discomfort either. And so again, it's okay if we start there, it's always okay. And I tell parents start scared. <laughs> like, yeah. It's always better to have a scared conversation than no conversation at all. And just talk about your discomfort openly and acknowledge it. When you pretend like it's not there, then it feels more embarrassing and weird. But if you just talk about your discomfort openly, it's not as big of a deal. Okay. Yeah. Kind of breaks the ice a little bit. Yeah. It kind of loosens things up when you can even laugh about it a little and just say, my face might turn red and this, I might, I'm probably sweating to death through this whole thing. And it humanizes you as a parent and kids relate to that because they're like, yeah, I felt that too. Just, just be real about how you're feeling. The other thing that doesn't work when these conversations is freaking out right? If we, um, if our child discloses something to us and our knee jerk or initial response is just to yell or freak out or shut them down or hand me your phone or what were you thinking? Or we've told that just shuts down the conversation right there. Now, if that has happened, it's okay. We can always repair and we should repair if that happens but we need to be careful not to be in such a reactive state because again, what we're trying to do is set up a, an environment where our kids, we can talk about this on a regular basis. If you've got a child who's struggling, they need you desperately and they need you to be calm and collected and not losing your head. You've got to keep your head so you can be there for them to help them figure out why they're struggling and what they need. One other thing that kids need is they need a direct and honest and open. When we talk around it, when we use weird, you know, stories or analogies to try and explain a concept, when we don't just go right in and talk about it, then they're not going to respect us. And they're not going to look at us as a trusted resource for the answers. We have to talk direct and talk openly and then be clear on our whys so we can teach that. So we can teach why this is important. Why? And I think for some parents, they're not comfortable with that themselves. And so they don't even yeah. want to bring it up. Right. And right. Again, and that's, yeah, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you, but I was just thinking, okay, so we, we don't want to freak out about pornography. Maybe our child has looked at it or we know that they are looking at it. Um, we do want to freak out inside. So how do we not freak out about it? How do we think about pornography in a way that isn't so emotionally charged where we can stay calm? Yeah. Great question. I think what we have to do is turn down the fear factor. And the way we do that is really understanding what pornography is, what its intent is, and, and really getting in the right mindset of, of being cleared. We have these thoughts that if our child looks at a pornography, they're going to be addicted to it. If our child looks at pornography, then they're just, their views of sexual sexuality will be distorted forever. If our child looks at pornography, then they are sick and dirty and wrong. And they are. And so all of these conceptions that we have, we have to clean those up and realize it's natural and normal for kids to be interested and humans. Let me just use the word humans right, right. To be interested in pornography because we are sexual beings. And so of course we'd be interested in that, right? And pornography is designed with the intent to arouse. That's its whole purpose. And arousal feels good, 
So people are naturally drawn to it. You know, it's like getting mad at someone because they love chocolate chip cookies. And you're like, why do you love those so much? Like, because they taste good. Like, (laughs) right. Like it makes sense. If, if your kid is eating too many chocolate chip cookies, maybe that's a good way to kind of like view them both. Yeah, It makes sense. Like, of course they're good, but also you're going to get a, you're going to get sick to your stomach. You're going to have other problems because of eating too many cookies, but there's really no shame in that. Yeah. And when we can diffuse that and say, that's a natural, we are naturally drawn to it and it's okay. Okay. And it exists in the world because billions of people consume it. Okay. (laughs) Like like people are making lots of money off of it and that's why it exists. Now that doesn't mean we have to buy into it. That doesn't mean we have to look at it. And this is where parents have to be really confident on their why, like, why do you not want your kids to look at it? And, and don't just be, we can't be, have surface conversations here. We've got to get raw and real with our kids about it. Yeah. Because if they don't find it from us, they will find the information from somewhere else or another source that will be raw and real. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So again, just it it's easy when we understand that it's just natural and normal to look at it and that we're naturally curious, we're naturally sexual, we're naturally going to be drawn to it. Then it's like, oh, okay. And then we can just talk about it like in a matter yeah. of fact <clears throat> way and keep our heads in the conversation. Yeah. And I love that I'm talking to you as if, um, you know, not as a coach, as a parent. And so my next question is like, well, then if you, if you talk about it like that, then that's going to just make them want to view it all the time because it's no big deal. Yeah. Right. And so we naturally, that's again, a thought that we think if we talk about it, kids are going to be interested in it. Right. But it's actually the opposite is true. When we don't talk about things, it increases curiosity. The more we talk about and educate, it, it decreases. Then all of a sudden it's not as enticing because it's not as secretive and we've just taken the allure out of it. Right. The more more you tell someone, don't look at this, don't look at this, don't look at this. What are they going to (laughs) think? I want to go look at it. it Right. And that's unfortunately the conversations we've had about pornography for so long. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. It's bad. Don't look at it. If it comes up, just put that computer. Like it's just, we just get emotional. Right. And if we can just talk about what it is and just say, it's not real. Like it's fake. It's, it's, you know, either images of people without their clothes on and enhanced images it's people having sex that it's not normal and healthy sexuality. And then we, then it's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's right. what it is. Right. Yeah. And then if they see it and they feel that arousal, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be addicted or they feel that yeah. shame. They go back to it. And then now they feel like they have an addiction. Yeah. Speak to that part, because I have heard a lot of things that, you know, I know that it's not listed in, um, as, as it's not labeled in psychology as an addiction. Yeah. So, but it can be an addiction, but kind of speak to that idea of just because you look at it, even if you look at it on a regular basis, doesn't necessarily mean you're addicted to it. Yeah, exactly. Now, just because we say pornography isn't an addiction, it doesn't, well, and, and there's going to be, there's sides that believe both, right? Okay. It doesn't mean it's not a problem. 
So that's the first thing we need to acknowledge is that yes, pornography in our society is a problem. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And I like that distinction between addiction and problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so whether or not we believe that, and there, and there's people that are fighting hard on both ends of the spectrum, as always, I think the answer is (laughs) reality is in the middle, right? In the middle. That's where I like to be. Yes. (laughs) It's in the middle, but we have to realize if we, you look at pornography one time, it does not mean you're addicted. Even if you meet, look at it lots of times when pornography becomes something that's interfering with your ability to function in your daily life, then we've really, then we've got a problem. Now, even if we're looking at it a little, that doesn't mean we don't need to address it, but we have to be careful of labeling someone as that. Right. And I, this is where it gets tricky for me because I think the label of addict in general, some people say, well, we can't use it for people who struggle with pornography. I'm like, because it's so shameful. And then I say, well, then why are you using it on other people? If it's shameful, right? Right, right. That's really, I think it's be great to blow up the whole argument and just say anyone who struggles with anything compulsively is human and has a human brain and has learned responses to unhealthy responses to deal, to cope with their emotions, right? If we're looking at it at a very broad sense. And so that same thing can happen with pornography, but it can also happen with other things as well. And so right. I think it's really just to be careful to label any of us as we're all just trying and we're human and we struggle in different ways with different things. And let's not, let's be really careful how we use that word. Some people might use that word because that help, and that's helpful in their recovery. And some people might say it isn't. And so I think it's, it's, and some people identify that way and that's perfectly okay. And some people say, I don't want to identify with that way and that's okay. So we just have to respect all the different viewpoints on that. Yeah, I like that. And what I was thinking of as you were talking is when we label something with an addiction or like we are an addict, we're almost giving that power away to something else, like something outside of us that is making us do something when really we have the ability to overcome with our own mind and our own brain. Um, I was listening to Jennifer Finlayson Fife um, one on something she was talking about And she was talking about how a lot of times, you know, members of our faith may say, like, if you look at pornography, you know, you won't have the spirit with you. And that's the adversary. And so she said, almost kind of like what you were saying with addiction, to not even talk about it in that way, because then you're giving your power away to the adversary. Like the adversary, oh, you have, you don't have the spirit with you anymore. Um, The adversary is taking over, right? And then she said, as she was helping people, Kind of, and then taking that narrative away so that they had the power within them to control this compulsion they had because they weren't taken over by the adversary. You know, they do have the spirit with them. They can have the spirit with them, even if they're looking at it. And then that helped them release the shame and that compulsive behavior. It just kind of gave them their own personal power. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's when we make it so black and white, which it's not. Um, it get, it can get really confusing and it can get really discouraging because we, and we make these assumptions about people. If someone looks at pornography, then they're just sick and dirty and wrong. Like, I think the question we need to be asking ourselves is how should I think about myself if I look at pornography and how should I think about others 
if they look at pornography and and really think about that like are are they just are we casting them aside are we casting ourselves aside if we've made it that issue so and we've drawn that line so hard when we live in a world where we're surrounded by it and we're tempted by it we're in we're engulfed in it we live in a hyper sexualized world where it's everywhere and then we've said if we take one look at it it's over like you know the spirit's gone i'm an evil person and then we've made it this really black and white strong argument it gets really tough to pull out of that so so yeah. i can see that how we just have to really be checking ourselves. What do we think of ourselves if we look at it, right? It doesn't mean we want to look at it, but we need to realize we're naturally drawn to it and we're still a good person inside, even if we have looked at it. Right. I love that. And that's a really good question and dialogue to have with teens. You know, how do you want to feel about yourself when you look at it or when you see things on TikTok or Instagram? How do you feel when you see those things? What do you think about the other people who who may have looked at it or see those things or are making those videos that are coming up? That's a really good question. And I could see how that would create a really open conversation around it in a very healthy way that both parties could be openly talking and figuring things out together. Because how do you want your kids? Your kids are going to see it, right? And they're going to look at it. They're going to either accidentally or intentionally. And so how do we want them to think about themselves? once they've seen it or to have that question in their mind, like come up in their mind where they have more of an awareness, like a higher awareness to decide, maybe I don't want to look at that. Yeah. And then decide for themselves. That's amazing. Yeah. And then, and then, because ultimately that's what we want them to do is say, I have, I could look at it if I want, but I choose not to, because that's not what I want in my life. That's not the kind of person I want to be. And I want to express my sexuality in a different way and in a different relationship and not through pornography. I love that. And I love that it's not so black and white because right. It's like healthy sexuality is a beautiful thing. And you don't just want to learn that when you get married and then have to figure it out. You know, it's like you're sexual through your whole life. And so, you know, that could be an entirely different podcast episode, but this goes into some, something that you teach, which is self-regulation. Mm-hmm. which I think is so important to teach older kids. I mean, everyone, all, all ages of kids, my kids are older. So I'm thinking of the teens, um, self-regulation. So how do you teach that? What is, what does that mean? And so we'll, self, we'll go into that. Yeah. Self-regulation is essentially emotional regulation. So it's just an ability to be a manager of your own emotions. Okay. And when we manage, when we can manage our emotions, right? And as coaches, we teach in order to manage emotions, we have to manage thoughts, but as we manage emotions, that helps us manage our own behaviors that helps us be in control and intentional about the choices that we're making. And it's a skill that as our kids learn self-regulation, then they're better equipped to not get involved in compulsive behaviors, right? Because when we, when we feel out of control and we're seeking for something to make us better, whether that's food or video games or social media or pornography or whatever, and just to soothe the emotions, if we can learn how to just regulate and process the emotions on our own, then those things aren't tempting anymore. And that really is empowering to individuals because we're not 
we're, we're creating a life where we're not dependent on other things to feel good. We can create that on our own at any time because we, we know we have that power. So how we teach that self-regulation comes through increased self-awareness. Okay. So as parents, we have to learn and model self-awareness and we have to be, that means being aware of what we're thinking and feeling. That means we have to talk about it. That means we have to own our mistakes and talk about that openly in front of our kids. Like when we lose it, let's talk about why we did. If we were dysregulated, why were we dysregulated? Use that as a teaching opportunity and be humble enough to, to talk about that and teach that and model that. And then when your kids are dysregulated, don't dysregulate with them. If they're, if they're having a moment and they're losing it, keep your calm and your cool. So you can model self-regulation when they're dysregulated. Now, is that always easy? No, <laughs> it's not right. That is the struggle of being a parent. But the more we can practice that and learn that and teach that to our kids, then what we are doing is we are helping them, you know, overcome this on their own. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to give my kids opportunities to self-regulate, whether that's turning off a video game on their own, you know, making decisions about what they put in their body and how much they put in their body and managing. I'm kind of their coach and their guide and their teacher teaching them the principles and then giving them lots of opportunities to practice doing that on their own and allowing for all the do-overs we need, right? We're taking the pressure off. We're just practicing in our home and having all these opportunities to practice self-regulation before I send them out into a world where they're just going to be bombarded with (laughs) all kinds of things. Yeah. I love that. And I don't feel any shame in the way that you're teaching that. I feel like it's so open to make mistakes or just build that practice of having awareness so that you can, you know, you learn through eating too many cookies. Sometimes you learn from doing it wrong and then making the choice to make a better choice the next time. So I love how you're creating a space for that learning and talking about it. Right. It's okay. If we, if they did something, I mean, my son went way over his tech time the other day. And we just talked about it and said, well, how did that feel? And it's okay if he feels a little guilt. I want him to feel that. Like, let's talk about what that felt like. Let's talk about why you did that. Let's talk. And it's okay. Like, I still love you and I'm here for you, but let's learn from this together. And trust me, I have enough moments of dysregulation myself that I can teach my kids, like, see what I did there. I lost it and I was not in control. And I'm sorry about that. And this is what I would have done different. And thanks for being so patient with me and just really having that dialogue and being open and communicating, not being afraid to make mistakes in front of each other. Again, for me, it does take the pressure off as well. It's just like, I can do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I love that. So last question, and then we'll get into, you know, how anyone listening can, you know, work with you or get more information from you. Um, with this idea of self-regulating, I know at the kid, the age my kids are at right now where I feel like, okay, maybe I have given them too much um, freedom and now it's time to pull some freedom back. It's time to take some more control. And that is going to create a power struggle, a battle. Um, 
if I say self-regulate, they won't. That's my thought right now <laughs> with certain things. Like I'm like, oh, I don't know that they would turn it off and I don't know if they would feel guilty. So speak to that, um, where to start and um, when, when to push back and when to allow your child to make that decision on their own. Yeah. So it's, I wish there was just a little formula we could plug in and say, here's our problem and boom, I would pop right. Over, right? That would be yes, so please. easy and amazing. <laughs> um, but I, from, from my research and what I have learned is that emotionally resilient, which are emotionally regulated kids, the prime environment for that is a high boundary and high compassion environment. Okay. And both of those things create safety. Boundaries create safety. The world we live in is chaotic. When there's structures, there's rules, there's regulation that helps create safety. Now that doesn't mean our kids are going to roll their eyes at it or say that's stupid, or I don't want to do that or push back against it, but, but rules create safety. Compassion creates safety as well, right? That means all the space to feel anything kids can feel any way they want about it. And it's okay. There's no shame in complaining about the rule that we've just set and it's okay. But as a parent, we get to decide. And I, I like to, in my head, think of it as this spectrum between boundaries and compassion. Am I, am I leaning too hard on the boundaries? Am I cracking hard too hard on the rules or am I letting too many things go? Am I just in the spirit of I'm trying to be kind and compassionate, I'm ignoring some rules and boundaries. We're, we're always kind of leaning back and forth and trying to find that place in the middle. So I, I think we have to look at each situation case by case and say, what can I do here? Can I create more space for what they're feeling or do we need to add some more structure? And when I think of boundaries, I think a good way to, to come up with boundaries is they need to be flexible meaning we're always realizing that they might need a change per child, per situation. They need um, to be reasonable. We don't want to throw out anything that's, it's got to be reasonable. It's got to make sense. And it's, and it's, especially when you have a teen, bring them into that reasonability discussion. Okay. What is reasonable in this situation for a curfew, for technology time, for cell phone rules, et cetera, what is reasonable the more they can buy into the conversation or weigh in it, the more they're going to buy into it. Okay. And then yeah. is it consistent? Are we doing things consistently? And whenever we're starting something new, we're going to get pushed back. Okay. And right. I think as parents, we have to be leaders. We have to, especially when it comes to the safety of our kids, we have to be leaders and it's okay. If we get it wrong, again, we go back to this, this is a practice home. And if we get it wrong, we'll redo it. But we have to just be willing to go in. And sometimes we might feel like we've just got to hold the boundary here or we need, yeah. really need to increase the compassion. And we're always kind of weighing that scale in our heads, but we're not being afraid to be the leader, to be the parent, to own our mistakes when we make them, but we're not afraid to be in charge. And I think it's really important for parents to have that confidence that they're the leaders, they're the teachers. And, and more than anything, you know, teaching our kids is about, or disciplining our kids is about teaching them. And maybe a boundary or a consequence is the best way, but maybe it isn't. We always want to think, how can I teach this principle to my kids so they can live on their own? How can I be a good teacher? And the better teachers we become, the better parents we become. Love it. That is so beautiful and a perfect way to 
end this podcast. I love that analogy. And it's exactly what I, what I teach and coach as well, because it's that pendulum of being too passive or being, you know, too authoritarian. It's exactly what you were saying. So you have said everything so beautifully. I'm actually really motivated to talk more openly with my kids in not just pornography, but in all of the things that we need to develop skills and self-regulation around, you know? Um, So it's such a great conversation and a way to connect us to our kids and to our teens to have these open conversations. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So tell anyone listening who wants to work with you and get more information from you where they should go. Well, right now, Instagram is the best place. So Instagram at Emily Christensen coaching, or I have a Facebook page at Emily or Emily Christensen coaching. I'm much more active on Instagram, always available in um, direct messages there. And you can email me if you, you can put that in the show notes too. They can email me at Emily at Emily Christensen coaching. And then my website, the, just the basic structure will be launching in the next couple of weeks. And they can find me there as well. If they're not on Instagram, just to learn a little bit more about me and what I help people with. And I really mean it when I say reach out, if you have questions, I am passionate about supporting and helping families with this issue and helping people realize we're not alone. Like this affects so many families. Let's just bring it out into the open and talk about it more. I love it. Um, So tell us a little bit about your coaching practice. What do you do? Do you coach one-on-one? Do you do groups? I do one-on-one and I help families that are, so I've worked with spouses. Um, People have a spouse that's, that's struggled with pornography. Um, I've worked a lot with spouses. I've worked with individuals themselves who've struggled with pornography. I've worked with parents who have kids that have struggled with pornography to different degrees. Um, That's what I primarily focus on. I've had people come with other just general maybe addiction questions or other types of struggles. Um, What I really help people with as well is if you're in a situation where you've got to have a difficult conversation or set a limit or really complex and messy, we talk about it. We go into all the mess and all the details. I'll even give you scripts on what to say and how to say it in a way that feels more comfortable and true to who you are. And so Anyway, one-on-one is where I'm working. I will be starting a group coaching program soon for spouses, and I'll be advertising more about that on my um, Instagram, but really overcoming the fear and triggers that they have to move on with their lives and find and feel more empowered in their own lives. So I'm excited about that. That's so good. I'm so glad that you are doing this work because it is so needed right now. Thank you so much, Emily. It was so good to talk to you today. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Parenting in the Middle podcast. I am so grateful you're here. I'm excited to announce that my group coaching course is now open for enrollment. You will get access to seven videos and eight live coaching sessions all over eight weeks. You will learn and apply actionable tools that will help you be a more confident and decisive parent. And because us moms like to put everyone else's needs before our own, you'll also learn how to set your own personal goals and actually achieve them. Send me an email at kristengoodman at parentinginthemiddle.com to get on the interest list. You can also find more information on my show notes or on my Instagram page at Kristen Goodman Coaching. I can't wait to see you there.